Well, hey, good to see everyone today. Welcome to Center Point. I'm glad you're here. Why don't you clap for somebody who made it to church today? It might have been a big deal for them. Anyway, I'm glad you made it. And I just wanted to make sure that we all are aware that on uh, Christmas, or <laughs> Christmas, Easter weekend, <laughs> a little ahead of myself, Easter weekend, uh, we, we have 10 uh, opportunities for, for gathering together in worship. Two are in our French Valley campus and eight here. We're starting on Friday night. And part of the reason for that is that we really want to make sure we have uh, lots of time for kids who want to experience the glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt uh, uh, to be able to enjoy that, and it happens best when it's dark. So instead of just doing that on Saturday night, we're also adding that on Friday night. And uh, just check out Easter at centerpoint.tv for all the details. Okay, so uh, this is week three of Shout, and so I've been doing some digging and some thinking about uh, what it means to shout for the glory of God and all of that good stuff. And uh, something that maybe a, a lot of you would know if you've been with us for a while, or if you're new, you should know this, our church is a free Methodist church. We're part of the free Methodist ministry family, and uh, basically the, what that means is, you know, back in the day, uh, in the end of the 1800s, uh, this, the group called the Methodists, you know, it was one thing, but there was a smaller group that said, we need to fight for freedom, and uh, in this country that was a big deal, and there was a group of people that said, we got to fight for freedom, hence the name free Methodist, kind of has a good roots story, and, and it's a good tree, and you're a good branch of it. Anyway, but further back, uh, beyond and that, uh, it, we're, we're part of the Wesleyan movement from John Wesley back in the day in England. And, uh, and, and what I discovered, I didn't know this, but there, there was a, a revival movement that sprung up through the, what were called the Methodists, right, back in the day. And the, the revival that was being experienced in, a, in, in this Methodist movement was so intense that everyone called them the Shouting Methodists. You can look it up. It's a thing. They called them the shouting Methodists because there was so much revival. So many people were experiencing the power of God and just had to shout about it. And so they were called the shouting Methodists. This, this revival it started up over in, uh, in Northern Ireland and then jumped over to England and then from England over to America and then right into Kentucky. The Kentucky revivals at the heart of it was the shouting Methodists and it kind of went back to the eastern seaboard and up and down the east coast at the camp meeting revivals. At the heart of it were the shouting Methodists. Everyone say the shouting Methodists. Okay, so, so when you hear the Methodist church, you, you think like stodgy mainline denomination, right? Except the history shows something different, that back in the day, there was so much revival that they had to be called the Shouting Methodists. I came across one of the songs that they sang in 1806, and I don't know the melody, but I got the lyrics, and here's what the song said. It said, the world, the devil, and Tom Paine have tried their force, but all in vain. They can't prevail. The reason is, the Lord defends the Methodist. <laughs> they pray, they sing, they preach the best, and do the devil most molest. If Satan had his vicious way, he'd kill and damn them all today. They are despised by Satan's train because they shout and preach so plain. I'm bound in, to march in endless bliss and die a shouting Methodist. It's like, wow. 1806. I thought we were the ones that got to come up with all the strong songs. No, hundreds of years back, right? And, and I guess I was, I was unaware of this until, until this past week. You know, I've, I've been a part of this stream for a long time, but I never knew that it was called the Shouting Methodist. And in fact, one guy who wrote an article in the 
in the early 1800s about it all wrote this. He wrote, the Methodist church could not live without her shouts and cries of glory, glory, glory. And he also wrote, uh, the church's shouts of amen dispossesses demons, storms heaven, shuts the gates of hell, and drives Satan from the camp. Woo! I, re I read that and I thought, man, somebody gets it, right? They, they, they understood that there's power in the right kind of shout. And, and I wanted to just simply uh, help us all to see together that we're not the first ones to recognize that there's power in the right kind of shout. I mean, I'm just drawing you back to uh, the early 1800s, but yet, yet we go back even farther than that and thousands of years earlier and God's people recognize that there's power in the right kind of shout. That's part of why we're doing this series is because we understand that. And so today, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. So I want you to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 4 or take out your Bible app and get there to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And, and while you're turning there, you know what else I found out? That the idea of shouting in church, the idea of it kind of morphed a little bit where we think shout and we think pretty much it's something we do with our voice. But what I discovered was that in lots of, uh, lots of church circles, when they talk about, oh, we got to shouting in church, it's no longer about what we did with our voice. The shout is actually a two-step dance move that believers do when they start to really feel it. <laughs> I didn't know this, but you can look it up. There's, there's videos all about the shout in church, right? And so you want to see it? Okay, so... <laughs> Let's see if I can pull it off. I mean, it should be simple, but it's like you just start feeling God and you just can't even contain it anymore and you start just going. You just start lifting your hands and you got to get your stank face going. You got to get it going because you got something to shout about. Where was I? Where was I? First Samuel, that's where I was. Listen, it's harder than it looks. I'm serious. First Samuel. So you turn into First Samuel, and if you haven't been reading First Samuel recently, this is the part of the Bible where it's about 200 and something years later from what we looked at last week. If you were in church, we looked at the Jericho incident where they marched around Jericho. This is 200 and something years later, and this is the, the part of, of Israel's history where now they're good and in the promised land, but uh, but they're still having to contend for it because so often receiving the things that God has promised will call you to continue to contend. We never settle in on autopilot and the Israelites couldn't either. And so they're in the promised land and they have to, they have to contend for it. Here's this, the problem is that there's a group of people called the Philistines and the Philistines are also wanting to settle in that land. The Philistines come from Greece from the Isle of Crete and they've come down into this land and they've decided we want it to except God had decreed this is this is land I'm giving to my my people the Israelites but they've got to fight for it so there's battles going on between the Israelites and the Philistines at the same time here's the spiritual situation the people of Israel you know, a few hundred years earlier they had Moses and they had that whole tent of meeting thing and people were getting close to God and all of that. Well, now, a few hundred years down the road, there's been a good deal of drift. 
And so it, they're not so much, you know, seeking God and, and knowing and walking closely with God. They're kind of just settling a lot and maybe some compromise of settling in, doing their own thing. And, and there's this one priest named Eli. And, and Eli is an okay guy, but he's also kind of, even as the leader in the tabernacle, he's kind of drifting away. And that's the backdrop for what we're about to read in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So let's jump into 1 Samuel chapter 4 and read it together. It says, at that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it'll save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who's enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud, it made the ground shake. Come on, somebody. Amen. Made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all this shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because of the Ark of the Lord, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. That's an awesome story, isn't it? I mean, the people of God, the Israelites, it said that they shouted so loud, it made the ground shake. Don't you like that? I like that. I'm uh, thinking about that, and it just makes me want to start going, mm. I'll change up the rhythm a little bit, too. I'll just, oh, it's just a shout that gets you going, you know? Except let's read some more. Verse 5, it said, when the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud, say it, it made the ground shake. I wish we could just stop there. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They're the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we'll become the Hebrew slaves, just as they've been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines fought desperately. And Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was so great, 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured. And Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, what? wait, didn't, wait didn't, didn't they shout? It didn't work. It didn't work. You know what? I, I hope that I've made the case in the first couple of weeks of this series for, uh, for, for the right kind of shout, you know, and that, and that there's such power in the right kind of shout. But what we're finding here is that there's also another kind of shout that's empty, that doesn't have anything to it but noise. But, but I hope I've made the case for the fact that the Bible really does call us to be those who would be willing to shout. In fact, 150 times or more, the scripture talks about the shout for the glory of God is just something God's people do. And at least 21 times more, depending what translation you're working with, there's a, a direct mandate to all of God's people. 
a command even, where it says, shout to God. Shout. It's, it's, a, it's a mandate, as in it's something that it's not just a song from the early 90s. Shout to the Lord. But it's no, it's something we should do. Right? So, so I hope I've made that clear already, right? But what we can see in what we just read is that there is a, 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 a wrong kind of a shout that can occur. And the right shout is full of power, but the, the wrong kind of shout can be as empty as the hot air coming out of the lungs of the shouter. The, the right kind of shout comes from a place deep within where, where you're full of a, a true trust in the living God, and you really know him, and you cry out to him with a confident trust in who he is and what he can do. Because you know him, because you fear him, because you walk with awe and respect for him. That's where the real shout comes from. But that's not the shout that we're seeing here in this passage of scripture. And the result is that, that there's a whole lot of death. That, and there's a whole lot of not breakthrough that comes. And, and I want us to just recognize something together. The goal is not to shout for shout's sake. I hope nobody got the wrong idea from this series, that somehow we're just trying to uh, get all riled up, because that's really not the goal at all, because we, we could shout really loud, but if it's just hype, it won't help, and it needs to be that we have, we have a heart that's growing with a, a real love for God, a heart that's growing with a real trust for God, a heart that's deepening with a, a real faith in God, and that then can give birth to a real shout that really can be a part of an experience of the breakthrough God would bring. And that's what we're going for, that kind of shout. We're not going to settle for some empty noise making, though. And if that's all we got, we might as well back off a bit. You know, this is, this is what I see here, and I want us to dive into the scripture and, and just understand whatever we can from it. Because 30,000 Israelites died. I'd like it to count for something. Let's dive in and go back to verse uh, 2 and 3 again. It said that the Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel. Everyone say defeated. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? You know, so the first thing I just think we ought to observe is that they were defeated, and whenever we experience defeat, it stinks. It's hard to handle. No, none of us like to lose, and when we lose, it makes us start questioning. It makes us start wondering, why did it happen? What went wrong? Maybe even we start asking the God why. Why, God, did this thing happen? Why did it happen to me? Why did this bad thing happen? Why did you allow us to be defeated? What was really the problem was that the Israelite community lacked real strength. I mean, at the core of defeat is a lack of real strength. And maybe it would have been the time to assess why do we lack strength and to recognize that they lacked strength because they didn't really have a real connection with God anymore. That was the real problem. And the message today that I wanted to bring, the message just in, in, in one sentence, if you wanted to write it down and, and remember it as you left today, it's simply this, that God would invite us to reconnect with him, to get real strength by reconnecting with God in repentance and resting in his presence. That's the main idea of this message. You want real strength? Then get it. Get real strength by reconnecting with God in repentance and resting in his presence. That's what I want to talk about in this message. It's the secret of, of real strength. 
But the Israelite community, this is what they did. The, the defeat came, and, it, and if you go back to verse 3 again, it said, after the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, say the question with me out loud, ready, go. Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? That was their question. Why? Why did God allow this bad thing? Why did God allow us to be defeated? The question is right, but it, it needs to be asked the right way. Because there's a difference, isn't there, between why did God allow us to be defeated and why did God allow us to be defeated? And, and it's the second question that would have been the most powerful one. The first question, why did God allow us to be defeated? It doesn't really even sound like much of a question when, it, when you voice it that way, does it? It sounds more like a, a complaint, a, a whine, right? And, and there's not much strength that's going to come from complaining and whining. But to truly ask a meaningful question, why did God allow us to be defeated? Why? That might be a question that would prompt them to really begin to seek God and not just his box. But they, they weren't doing that question. And you can tell by the, the very next thing that happens. It is all about the box. That's what comes next. It's all about the box, right? You, you'd look a little bit further in verse 3, and uh, it says that then they said, let's bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into the battle with us, it, someone say it, it will save us from our enemies. We got a problem. When God, the redeemer and rescuer of Israel, who had revealed himself so personally, has now become an it, we've got a problem. And we really do have a problem because the, the problem is the lack of strength among the Israelite community, but their solution is get the box. And it's like mind-blowing that this is where they would go. Get the box, you know, the God box. Come on, guys, you remember Joshua? You've heard the stories, you know, bring the God box, march around the city, all that, and get the God box, and, and then it will save us, the God box, the God in the box, God in my box, God who I control, God who does what I say the way I say it. That God is not real. But what happens among people who are drifting from the reality of who God really is, is an a, a invention of what God is. A total misconception. The God in the box. And, and it doesn't really bring any power at all. When they, it says, it will save us. It will save us. What they're really exhibiting in this moment is magical thinking. And, and it's magical thinking that actually ultimately results in a, a desire to manipulate the power of God. As if God could be on tap at your beck and command. No way. But that's where they were. That's what was going on. There was this magical thinking. It was this good luck charm religion that they had drifted into. And, and it's disastrous. It, it messes us up. And, and what I wanted to share with you is I don't think it's just the Israelites from all these years ago that could sometimes drift over into some misconceptions about God. I think it's just as likely for any of us to drift into some misconceptions about God too. And let me just suggest a few, some, some misconceptions of God that maybe some of us have. I mean, maybe we have the God in the box uh, misconception too. We think, I know exactly how God works. 
I know the formulas for what God does, and, and I got them all boxed in. I got them all figured out. I mean, the mystery of the creator of the universe, but we got them all figured out, and it's boxed. That's a misconception. Or, or maybe we have the misconception of a, the therapy God. Therapy God, right? Therapy God. God, what you do is your job is to make me feel better. That's it. Make me feel better. Don't talk to me about changing my life. Don't talk to me about doing different things. Don't talk about challenging me to grow. No, no, no. Just make me feel better. Therapy God. Or maybe we believe in the misconception of landlord God. You know, landlord, right? Landlord. You never, you never care about the landlord at all until something goes wrong. Hey, 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 landlord, the toilet's leaking. Get over here. Help. Right? Some of us have kind of landlord God misconception. Wait, it, just only in the crisis when something goes wrong. That's, that's when I need you and your job is to fix it. You know, there's all kinds of misconceptions. The genie God misconception, where it's like, hey, hey, I, I did the, the, the rub the lamp thing just right. I did my devotions, and I came to the services, and I did the fasting thing too. So I rubbed it just right. Now you owe me my three wishes. Bring it. You know, that, but, I mean, we could go on and on, right? But these are, these are warped views of God. And warped views of God happen when we drift out of a real connection with God. And they can happen to the best of us. I mean, they happen to the best of them. The Israelites themselves, God's chosen people, just kind of drifted away. We'll do whatever we want. We'll come up with our own view. And so they asked for the box. Let's get the box over here. But you know what? They did shout, didn't they? Remember that part? It was a good part, wasn't it? I got excited when I first read it. Oh, they shouted so loud it made the ground shake. I loved that verse. I wished I could have just stopped the Bible right there. And then preached about, oh, we're going to shout till the ground shakes. And it would have been so exciting. <laughs> but we've got we to we read this. We've got to understand what's being revealed. And, and, it, and what's being revealed, I think, is that, that you can make the, you can do the, the right thing, but with the wrong heart. And it leads to a wrong result. I know this from personal experience for sure. I remember when, when, uh, when we were pregnant with Noah, back in the day, um, we, we created a birth plan. We went to a, a Bradley class, and, and we decided uh, with our second child that Anne was going to give birth to Noah au naturel. And what that means is no painkillers, right? No epidurals and nothing but a doula, you know? And so we set up the plan, and, and we did go to Rancho Springs to do the birth, but it was going to be natural childbirth. And uh, we... Uh, we went there, and, and then real labor hit, and, and we were about to have, I say we like I had anything to really do with it. <laughs> so real labor hit, and, and then uh, my precious, godly, gentle, full of the Holy Spirit wife just began shouting. She started shouting, really shouting, and she was shouting, give me an epidural! That was what I heard again and again and again. And she was shouting so loud that I needed to answer her, but in order to be heard, I had to shout back. And I shouted back, we can't. It's not in the birth plan. <laughs> and then she shouted again. I said, get me and Epidural, but she added some adjectives that are NSFC, as in not safe for church. <laughs> oh. And then with all the shouting, then the doctor ran down and came in. He's like, what's going, what's going on here? What's all the shouting about? 
and, and, and then I explained, you know, she, she wants an epidural, and, and he kind of took me aside. She doesn't believe me that this happened, but it did. He, she took, he took me aside. <laughs> took, the doc took me aside, and she said, listen, if I order it now, by the time it gets here, and by the time we administer it, it's going to take at least a half an hour, and it's, it's going to be too late. She said, I know that this happened. She said this to me, and listen, mark my words, 27 minutes later, Noah Alexander Hansen was born. So I was right. But I have never been so wrong. <laughs> and, and, we, and we shout. I shouted about it. And, and, but I did not win. I will tell you that I've never heard the end of it. I mean, even just this past week, it came up again, right? Because it's, yeah, it's possible to do, the, uh, to do the right thing in the wrong way or at the wrong time or with the wrong heart and to get a completely wrong result. And I think that's what's happening with the Israelites here. I mean, they, they, they did the right thing. I mean, you can find, like I said, the 21 verses that say, as a command, shout to the Lord. Right? We've got the Bible kind of supporting that. But it, it was done in this wrong way. It was devoid of the, of the real heart to really seek God. I mean, to understand that, you kind of have to read through all of the, the prophets and, and what they've said and, and the bigger picture of what's going on in 1 Samuel as a whole. But what I wish would have happened, what I wish would have happened in this moment is that they would have done something different, that they wouldn't have just been shouting for shout's sake. Because what's going on is it's like what would later be written of in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, where it said there's a time coming where people will be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And I think that's kind of what was going on in the Israelite camp in that moment. There was a form of godliness, but no real power. Because there was, there was no real connection going on. In fact, there was a lot of disconnection going on. A lot of disconnection. Did you catch the names of, of the guys who, out of all the 30,000 Israelites who died that day, did you catch that there was two people who were named in particular? It said, Hophni and Phinehas also died that day. So let's talk about these guys because they're emblematic. They're part of the, part of the problem. See, see I, I wish that the Israelites would have, when they asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated? I wish they would have said, you know what? Maybe the problem is with us. We've drifted from God and we've got perversion among our priests and we're not listening to our prophets and we got to come back to God. We got to turn from our sin. We got to turn from the wickedness. We got to repent and come back to God. I think if there could have been something like that that might have taken place, it would have been different. But, but Hophni and Phinehas, here's the backdrop of this. If you want to get the detail, read First uh, Samuel chapter 2. But long story short, Hophni and Phinehas, they're the sons of, of the priest Eli. And so they're priests and they're, they're stealing the offerings that are being given in the tabernacle worship. They're misusing the offerings that are being given, and they're seducing the young women who are coming to serve and worship at the tabernacle. That's what's going on. And when, when God sees this happening among his people, th th he recognizes, they have walked away from me. They have wandered away from my ways. A and what was in order, what should have happened is there should have been some kind of a stirring inside of, let's go back to God Let's turn from our sin. Let's repent. 
But that wasn't going on at all. Instead, it was just, ah! That's not the shout that any of us really need. We need the one that comes from a deep rootedness and connectedness to the living God. Here's a detail. I jumped past pretty quickly. I think it's worth throwing out. In verse 1 of what we just read, it said that the battle that took place happened in a town called Aphek. That's just the name of a place, right? But the name, Aphek, it, it is a name of a place that actually, it means strength. That's what that word means, Aphek. It means strength. In fact, the root of it means to restrain oneself and as a result, to be strong. It's just a detail. But there's something in that detail that's, that's worth drawing out. That the Israelites, they lacked strength because they did not have any restraint. They weren't willing to restrain themselves from whatever they wanted to do and doing whatever came to their mind. And so as a result, they did not have strength. And so at the beginning of what we read, they had been defeated. And at the end of what we read, they're defeated again. What, what, what real strength comes from is a real connection with God based on truth and an acknowledgement of the areas where we've blown it. It's called repentance. And the prophet Isaiah spoke about this kind of problem. And in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, this is what the prophet Isaiah said. I want you to read this out loud with me. Say it. Ready? Go. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. I mean, the prophet is saying, the problem is that there's so much goodness available. There's so much mercy from God. There's so much cleansing. There's so much quietness and trust and confidence, another translation says, and strength returning. There's so much available, but you wouldn't have it. You would have none of it. Why? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't be willing to repent. And this is the, the prophet kind of painting a picture of where real strength can come from. And if you want real strength, then you get real strength by reconnecting with God in repentance and resting in his presence. Repentance. That moment where you go, this is the, this is the junk, God. Here's the sin. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to pretend it isn't there. It's there, and I'm going to name it so that it doesn't separate me from you, God. In repentance. And rest is your salvation, repentance. Everyone say repentance. Repentance. You know, we hear the word repentance and we think, you know, crazy guy on a street corner with a sandwich board sign saying, repent or burn. You know, and so we go, repent. Ah, ah. It just has a, it has a bad connotation. But it's such a beautiful, powerful thing to repent. It, it has the connotation of, of on several levels. One level is to change your mind. It changes your whole mental view of things. And the mental view that says, I can do whatever I want, who cares, whatever. It, it, it doesn't actually serve us all that well. And to start there with a, a mindset shift to say, that isn't good. It isn't bringing me life. It's sapping my strength. I'm changing my mind about it. And it also means to literally do a 180 to turn. To turn from that and to turn to the living God. And to in that moment find the mercy of God. Ready to sweep away the guilt and shame of sin. It's such a good thing, repentance. It's beautiful. 
It's strengthening. It's life-giving. And that's why the prophet says this in repentance. And trust is your salvation. And ultimately, strength returns there. Repentance. You know, this past uh, week, I met with my uh, accountability partner. And, you know, we sat down. We, you know, shot the breeze, small talk for a little bit first. And but then we got down to that moment where it's, it's time to start dealing with the stuff. And to be honest, you know, it, it'd be more comfortable to just kind of not do that. But what would be the point <laughs> of accountability if it didn't deal with the stuff? So we get to the moment where it's like, got to deal with the stuff. And I had to look at my brother and say, hey, all right, so here's mine. I got I to gotta, I gotta put some stuff out there. I mean, I didn't say the word, I now confess and repent. But that's what I was doing. I got to put my stuff out there. And just from the gut, just shared, it's this and it's this and it's this, right? You know, it's things that just aren't right in my mind and heart. And if left unattended, it, w- it will become more than just a problem in my mind and heart. And it's, it's, it's wrong, it's sin, and I need God's forgiveness. And, uh, you know, sharing that with my accountability partner and, and then him looking at me after I've shared that and saying, listen, I want to remind you, you're forgiven in Jesus. You're forgiven because you belong to the living God. And, and he's faithful and just to forgive you. And, and then he said this. He said, listen, you're going to feel so much better right after we leave. You're going to just feel so much better because you, you took this thing that was in the dark and you put it out in the light. So it's going to lose its power and you're going to get God's power. You're going to feel so much stronger and better. And he was right. I did. And this is the truth. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You want real strength? Get real strength by repentance. Acknowledging the junk that needed some acknowledging. So it didn't just say bundled up inside of you, poisoning you from the inside. Repent. Let it be the beautiful thing that I think God always wants it to be. Repent. Like, just say it. That this is the junk. I'm not letting it keep you betwe- from me, God. I'm, I'm putting it out there. Would you forgive me? And, and the New Testament reveals, God says, and I will. I, I'm just and faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what I'll do, God says. So, good news. We get to repent and trust. Trust that God is full of love and mercy for us. Rest in his presence and rest in his ability to restore us where we got off track. Rest in his capacity to spring us from the death trap we had set for ourselves. Rest in his power to make us new again. Rest in his ability to say about us, I'm making all things new and this thing is done because I've said it is finished. I'm going to rest in that presence of God where his love flows into me. Somebody should say amen. Come on, this is what we're made for. To Whenever we catch some stuff that, that just got a, a little bit off, to come back to our God in repentance and, and rest in his unfailing love. I want us to do that right now and to experience the strength returning. Because some of us, we need it. We've gotten so weary, but maybe this is part of how he's going to return his strength to you. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. God, I really do thank you for this part of your word because, because it's not sugar-coated. It, thank you, Lord, that you, you allow this, this part of your word to just be there where your people got defeated even though they shouted. <laughs> thank you for allowing that to be there as a reminder to us that you want something much more for us than just empty noise-making. 
Thank you, God, that you want something deep, deeply good for us. That what you want for us, Lord, is a, a real strength that comes from a real connection with you where we're able to repent of whatever needs repenting of and, and experience release and freedom from the weight of it, strength from God instead. So I pray for right now a moment of repentance to happen, a beautiful moment of soul-refreshing repentance to happen right across this room, right where you're sitting. Whatever the thing is, or things, you know, where you just know in your, in, in your spirit, I've missed God on this. And you might call it outright sin. You might think, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not that big a deal, but it's, it's something. I mean, whatever it is, just right now, would you repent? Just say, God, I confess this thing, and, and I turn away from it right now. This sin, this wrong, this missing it, this messing it up. I thought wrong, I said wrong, I went wrong, whatever it was. Right now, just take 30 seconds and just do that. And say, God, I confess this to you, and I repent. You could do it quietly, you could do it out loud, but do it. Don't miss this. Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And as your people are meeting with you in this moment, God, I declare the truth of your word in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and in trust is your strength. And so I declare as you are repenting and saying, God, here's the stuff. His answer to you is, and I forgive you. What I've done on the cross counts for all eternity for you. You do not bear it anymore. I've taken it all to the cross. I've paid the price for it so that you could be completely forgiven. And so now the blood of Jesus comes right now and washes you clean. And I declare over you, in Jesus Christ, you're free. 